Welcome to Season 2 of My Unknown Truth, a podcast sharing stories and experiences of adoption and foster care in Australia and around the world. My name is Nadia Levitt, and while exploring my own adoption journey, I wanted to create a space for others to share their stories too. In Season 2, I will be sharing fascinating personal experiences, some that unfold over long periods of time, and stories bravely told in memoirs and autobiographies. I discuss with a range of professionals in the field who may help navigate the complex foster care system, or understand childhood trauma and effects of separation, or how to support parents who wish to foster or adopt across the state, national and international lines. By sharing a range of experiences, it may help increase connection and awareness around adoption and foster care in Australia, facilitate informed discussion and encourage more people to open their hearts, minds and homes to children in need. Hey everyone, today I'm interviewing a gentleman by the name of Rowan Dent in Sydney's Northern Beaches. Rowan is a father of one who has been impacted by adoption and has seen firsthand the joy and love adoption has played in his life. Rowan attributes his successes in business and sport to the fundamental values that were given to him by his adopted mother and uncle. This is a story of love, sacrifice and loyalty that has impacted the current generation and will likely impact generations to come. Here is Rowan's story. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening and joining us today on My Unknown Truth, the Australian Adoption Podcast. I'm here with the incredible and talented Rowan Dent, and he's going to share his story. It's a really inspirational story, and it's something worth listening to, and it's just amazing to have him here. And, yeah, thank you for being here today, Rowan. Hey, thanks, lads. It's nice to see you, and, yeah, thanks for the introduction. Inspirational, I think, is probably an understatement, but... Yeah, thanks for having me. We met a few months ago just at a mutual friend's birthday party and just clicked straight away and just had a chat and here we are a few months later and you're on the podcast. Yeah, and and it's interesting that it came up, the topic, quite quickly actually, if Mm. I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We just straight away got straight into it. We did and I'll have to say thanks to you because it's actually been really cool to talk to you about it again and also to prepare for today just makes you realise how lucky you are. And I'm all about, I guess, divine timing and meaningful coincidences that you might share a specific topic with someone and it resonates with them straight away and then they've automatically got a part of their themselves and their lives and their story to share with you and then you get into this situation we're in now, a cross-collaboration, and I was very moved with your story and I don't want to there's no spoiler alerts at the start but Mm. yeah I just think it's I think it's incredible what you've experienced in your life because of adoption Mm. yes I'd love you to share that today so let me just start by saying that you're here to share your very special and powerful story about your mum Colleen and your uncle Pete who were both adopted from birth can you talk us through that period of time when your grandparents adopted them as this would have been like in the 1950s? Yes, it's their story more than mine. I was just fortunate enough to have the front row seat. So my grandparents, it was obviously the end of World War II 
and my um, my grandfather was in the Royal Australian Air Force and my grandmother was, I'm not sure what she did at the time, because of his Air Force experience, they moved to Papua New Guinea and looked after the airline up there, started the airline up there and they were only one of five white families at the time and they lived in a place called Lay. This is all information that my grandmother and mother have told me as you grow up. You hear the stories and I've seen photographs of my mum with all the black children in the in the town and that, that was they were her friends and that was her upbringing. But my grandmother and grandfather couldn't have children so they flew to Sydney to the women's hospital in Paddington and for adoption they adopted my Uncle Pete. We call him Uncle Pete. You'll understand why in a minute. And flew back to Papua New Guinea. That's in 1951. So after about 10 months or so, they started to notice there was a, some developmental issues. He got water on the brain and like he, he wasn't really pretty much wasn't moving. And so they were obviously concerned and came back to the hospital and was obviously diagnosed that he was blind and had hearing issues and his head was swelling. Yeah, it was pretty – and you can think back in the 50s, early yeah. 50s, 1951, pretty prehistoric. Yeah. Yeah, and so – this is probably one of the most beautiful things that I've ever heard anyone do in my life is they said to my grandmother, look, give him back and you can take this girl. And my grandmother said, no, I'll keep him and I'll take the girl. Obviously the girl's my mother. Mm. That kind of even now, I'm 50 years of age, still gives me a little bit of pride and I feel goosebumps over because I just think that's one of the most selfless acts I've ever heard of in my life. And it laid an amazing foundation down for the way my mother brought me up and also my relationship with my mentally handicapped uncle. For starters, in that period of time, that probably would have happened a lot where if adopted parents did have a child that maybe they didn't want, that they could take that child back yes. and replace it with another child. Like I just, that's just crazy that stuff even happened and existed. But It's sad. Yeah. It's sad and and. and as we get on to the story, the impact that he's had on my life, our lives, obviously my mother cared for him through their teenage years in Papua New Guinea and his sight and hearing did come back but he is a mentally handicapped man now today in his late 60s who requires care. He's not in the system in any way. He's always lived with my grandmother, my mother and now my stepfather, which we could talk about later. So it's like half independently. He was my best friend growing up. So he speaks with a strong stutter. So he's mentally challenged and he's about an eight-year-old intellectual. He can't, even a bit less, he can't spell, can't write. He can just sign his name very scratchily. He can't count money. He has an issue with temperature. Yeah. So in the house, the microwave's coloured blue, the button that he presses on the washing machine because he likes to do some form of chores as he's gotten older, they've obviously taken away. He's mowing the lawn was his thing. but So he is handicapped, but he, my grandmother never put him into any kind of care as a young age, and obviously these days they do to get them try and build their independence, mm. but he's never been a part of that. And, yeah, we'll go there in a minute. But it's the whole giving back part, that loyalty that my grandmother displayed, and then obviously my mother, because when they came back to Sydney when they were 14, they moved to Campbelltown and my mother went to a quite a prestigious women's school, their ladies, Santa Sabina Ladies College, and my Uncle Pete went to another school down the road and my mother tells the story of him being picked on the bus and my mother having a couple of physical fights 
with mm. girls and things because of his disability. And I had a similar issue at school when he came to my first Holy Communion because he, he does look a little bit different. He's yeah. got big glasses on. And unfortunately, you can see in the street, you can pick it up pretty quickly when you see these kind of people. But that loyalty that my grandmother displayed and then my mother carried on through her life, it's flowed to me in a really cool way with my own daughter. Yeah, yeah. And also that unconditional love, I think, yeah, I just think it's, yeah, I can't articulate it. It's pretty cool. Wow, it's just such a, yeah, powerful an interesting story that yeah she did yeah displaying that loyalty but at that time I guess she was already attached as well because it would have been what 10 months ten or months, eight yeah. yeah so the story goes my uncle Pete he it's a big part of his year that he was the same age as my mum for 11 days which is nothing but growing up he was he was always older but that they were the same age and this is silly stuff but it was a big part, and even though my mum's been gone 15 years now, or even longer, 17, my memory serves, yeah, so he still brings it up. I was at dinner with my dad, my stepdad and my Uncle Pete. I go there every Thursday with my daughter, and, and my daughter and him have a fantastic relationship. He dotes on her, like he doted on me when I was a little boy. He was my best friend. I would, my mother was a single mother, so she worked. So I spent my, my, all my school holidays, et cetera, with my grandma and my Uncle Pete. And I remember telling you this story and I just remember it so vividly. I was too little to put my arm around my surfboard because I had to be 10 years of age. And he would, we lived in Manly or they lived in Manly and we walked down Darley Road, which was quite a steep hill back for them for a little 10-year-old. And he would take my, carry my board to the beach and he would sit there all day long. And my nan would come down with a sandwich and she would wave and I'd come out. I'd be in the water all day as a kid, as the boys are. And my Uncle Pete, he was like my little protector, my bodyguard, like my angel. And obviously being a, ch- a child on your own, you know, your parents aren't going to let you wander around. But Uncle Pete was my little protector. It was funny. And I would watch the cricket. He was my best friend. Yeah. And I attribute a lot of my communication skills that I feel like I have at this point in my life and also that unconditional love and that loyalty. I attribute that to him. They're character traits that I find really endearing gosh i there's so much to this story that i try i'm trying to take it back to that 1950s stage when obviously adoption may have just been newly introduced Mm. as well so i think it was from the 1920s to the 1970s that it was adoption was like quite prevalent and a lot of adoptions happened but yeah the fact that she was even offered to just like where would he have gone? Oh, oh, where would he, I know we're talking hypotheticals yeah. here, but I just think there's so much, like you say, sadness, but there's but so much power and significance in the fact that your grandma just said, "No, hang on, we'll we want to keep him and we'll take the girl." So I just yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. I that, that that particular decision has had so much impact on our lives in yeah. such a positive way. Yeah, I, I, and where would he have gone? He'd be in the system. He probably, I don't know, I, I don't want to think about that because obviously the, the, those homes and what goes on and the here and in that era and, and someone who probably wouldn't have been able to stick up for himself or communicate properly, who knows? Yeah. Uh, that, uh, the idea is of that is sickly, sick. Yeah. It makes me feel ill inside. But uh, the fact that they said that too is hard to comprehend. And did you want to talk about how he got water on the brain? I, I, look, 
I, there's a lot of story about how come he was handicapped uh, and it, there, some maybe mistreatment earlier on and things. I'm not sure. I'd probably leave it there. Yeah. But, I mean, they did back then try and relieve the pressure by drilling into in there and, and that could have been a bit more of a cause of his brain damage. Right. So my mum and Nan, I should call them Colleen and Kate, my mum being Colleen and my Nan being Kate, both were pretty clever at making sure that young ears only heard what young ears should hear. But as my both, I became, I was very close to my grandmother as well. So I did hear the stories as I got older. So it's to share with you today. Yeah. But the, my nan was very humble in, in not telling, in saying that uh, the giving back thing, but my grand, my nan passed away 30 odd years ago, but my grandfather lasted to 103 and only really pa- passed away three years ago. And in the last year and a half of his life, I, I spent you know, most days with him. He was going downhill quite quickly but had all his faculties. So we spent a lot of time talking. And he did say, him and my, my grandma Kate, he, he still to this day had nothing but admiration for her without even thinking twice, yep, I'll have them both. So yeah. it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And the fact that it's just had such an impact on your life and like you said, it's filtering down into your daughter's life as well and the way that your Uncle Pete's now re- relating to your daughter and just seeing the, I guess, the memories and the similarities of how he's treating her and how he's treated you when you were a kid. Yeah, and- Nadia, it's uncanny. I used to go to the local milk bar as a little boy and get – 10 cents to, for a bag of lollies from my nan every other day of the school holidays and my Uncle Pete would walk me there. Even last night, my daughter, who's 11, who could probably walk to the local milk bar on her own, Uncle Pete walked with her last night. Same thing, pushed her on the swing in the park. Obviously, it's not surfing, but the same thing because his life is so simple. Mm. But he dotes on her and, and uh, before, a couple of weeks ago, he came and watched her play basketball and um, she's a good little player and – he just apparently, my stepdad, he didn't shut up about it for two weeks mm. every day. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Really, to actually look through life through his eyes, I think simply and with those rose tinted glasses, I think we could all benefit from. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> you know? right. Like, uh, yeah. I always think about him a lot He and the way his perspective is. And I try hard to hold on to that because it, it is so beautiful and clean. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think a lot of those, there's like probably a big stigma towards those people um, perceived as maybe a bit undervalued in society. Mm. And I guess it's not until you have a direct relation with someone like you have to where you're so much more aware of that significance of that per- person and how they've impacted your life. And mm. like you said, that like the simplicity is just so pure, it's so mm. innocent, so present. It's like you were saying uh, over the phone, they're like a, a symbol of God. Yeah, yeah. God's children. My mum used to say God's children yeah. because of the way they love. Yeah. Just unconditional and just with the most purest heart. Yeah. Wouldn't say a bad word about anyone. Everything's just. If you ask my Uncle Pete an opinion, he he giggles it off like we call him a politician because you can't get a straight answer because he <laughs> won't say anything bad about any. He doesn't answer the question. It's just this. <laughs> And no, oh. no, no, we just, that's a joke. Yeah. That's joking. Yeah, but I'm yeah. like, me, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah. he just, it's actually really beautiful. Yeah. 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 It, yeah, it is really beautiful. Going back to my mum, because my mum on the flip side probably carried a lot of that for him. Yeah. So that made my mum a very deep thinker and a, and a very stoic lady. And that was a fundamental way that she brought me up. And I yeah. think because of him there. And my grandmother was too, if I remember correctly. Uh, she, she wasn't afraid to get the feather duster out 
and I was a typical boy. She was a great lady, but she wasn't afraid to, back in those days in the 70s, they weren't afraid to give you a bit of a wallop, but yeah. Yeah. So she was quite an stoic lady too, so. So having like him in the house would have changed, it says it's impacted your life, but yeah, impacted your mum's life and probably the way she brought you up. And Because my mum had, I don't know if you want to go to this point, when she got, when she, I remember being 10 or so years of age, I was at Christian Brothers, so about 10 or 11, and she was on a mission to find her real parents. And I remember coming home from school because she used to work in a hospital across the road, so I'd go walk over there. We'd come home from work, I'd come home from school, and she would be. She had the old school green phone with the dial, and she had paper, reams of paper and contacts, and she was on the, she was on the chase to find her real her real mum, her real, if she had any siblings, it became an obsession, which I, now I look back on and go, wow, it was really a big deal for her. Do you know what triggered it? I don't know, but yeah. I know that I know that watching, because my father passed away when I was quite young, so I never saw my mother in a relationship until she met my stepdad, who I call my dad now, and he is my dad in, in that kind of, in an emotional kind of way. But yeah, I sense that with my age now, there might have been a bit of an abandonment thing there going on for her and because she knew she was adopted right from the world go. So people have their own strategy on why and how and when to, to tell that sort of information. But mum always knew. So I think she, I think it must have, I don't know if it was a trigger point to be honest with you, but she was on a mission to find and she had some success and we'll obviously touch on that in a minute. But back to my mum, she, she obviously brought me up on her own and, and did an amazing job, I think. Yes, I was like every, yeah, teenage, every teenage boy behind the toilet smoking a cigarette, having, trying a beer under all that, not in a bad way, but I was just a typical boy. Yeah. A long hair surfer, then discovered snowboarding and whatever. But she, was, she did her best with what she had. And, but there was, I've never ever in my whole entire life ever felt unsafe or un, not loved. And I think that... that initial symbol that my grandmother displayed by taking them both and then caring for him in Papua New Guinea mm. with only five white families until they were in there until they were 14 when they moved to Campbelltown and my mother growing up seeing that behavior and then carrying that through it's definitely been the fundamental for me I've got an 11 year old daughter who I adore and um and, and that's the same philosophy yeah you know and you'd have that same kind of traits very strong traits of loyalty, protectiveness, yeah. unconditional love, yeah. just that the power of that is yeah. just, yeah. And I look, I know, I shouldn't, I'm, I'm not No, everyone I'm has, yes, everyone does have that to a certain degree, yeah. but I think this is different in terms of, uh, it's it's hard to describe in words, I think, but I think it's, I, it's so, it's every day. It's in your face every day, that sort of. Yeah, it is, and I, I think I, I can identify why I have it, so I embellish it even more maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just a self-awareness thing there, I think. Yeah, and I watched my Uncle Pete with Natalia and even she, when you talk to him, you have to – it takes a while. If you met him, you would struggle to understand what he was saying, but we can have conversations with him. We have to feed lots of open-ended questions. But even learning that skill as a young boy and my daughter now, like she she has to pull the information out of him, that's a life skill that you don't learn until sometimes you read a book or you go to a management training. But these are things that – I remember my first ever job. I said, the lady, the first, the, one of the questions she said to me, she said, so, do you think it was a sales job? And she said, do you think you're a good communicator? And I remember going, I've been communicating with my uncle and he's handicapped for years and years. So I think that would be, and I, that just rolled off my tongue. Mm. But the reality of it is, 
that's these are the things that he's taught us. Now, if my grandmother didn't take him, I don't think that would be the case. You'd at, be at, a whole different person, I Yeah, reckon. agree. Yes. And so them offering to take him back and my grandmother taking – the win is phenomenal. Oh, that's how I look at it. Yeah, and hats off to your grandparents for oh, yeah. growing up in Pup- – or, or living in Papua New Guinea, five white families, no support and no – what the support that people get today in terms of kids who have disabilities is amazing mm. and it's so good that they've got NDIS and stuff now. Mm. And But, yeah, back in the 50s, it was just your mum and dad and – Sorry, your grandparents and your mum. Yeah, and my Uncle Pete. And yeah. your Uncle Pete. But and in that dynamic yeah. and just trying to navigate his disability. And the photographs is oh, half a dozen or maybe, sorry, a dozen photographs, black and white, little ones with my mum and Uncle Pete standing there with all these black kids in, in Lay in Papua New Guinea. And he's got tint, he's got black glasses pretty much on. And so uh, as mum got up, we got older, I was like, oh, tell me about that. Uncle Pete couldn't see. And it's just crazy. It's such a spin out. Like I'm, I'm almost like in awe of this whole story and this dynamic and just how it's impacted your mm. life mm. and especially and with your daughter now and yeah, like you were saying about the communication, it certainly has probably yet yeah, got you to yet yeah, prompt questions a lot. You're always thinking, trying to create conversations like that. That energy flow back and forth to get him engaged and you're engaged and yes. It must be this very subtle but very unspoken, close relationship that you two have. Mm. He was he was my dad. And I didn't have a dad, and my pop was away a lot working. He was a uh, accountant at David Jones, so I spent all my time with my uncle Pete. And then my pop left our life the day he retired, and he I think I was probably about thirteen, fourteen. So Pete, Pete was the only male role model figure around for a while. And he would rumble me and things like that. He would tickle me, I remember, and, and it hurt because <laughs> he had no understanding of his own strength and I was only a little boy. And that was, was like a role model, a, role, a bit of a male figure for me for a long time. Again, that's just any other impact. It just keeps going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So much respect for him. Like oh, at I so many different do. levels Phenomenal. of your life. Yeah. yeah. And I guess as a young boy, you wouldn't have known his intellectual age. But now that you're older, you know that intellectual age is eight. And yeah, it's just, well, it's a different, you're, it's constantly evolving the relationship. I didn't say this with you on the phone, but when my mother, so when my grandmother, he lived with my grandmother, of course, until my grandmother passed away from cancer. And so my grandmother and my Uncle Pete moved into the family home. Obviously, I were gone. And so my nan passed away pretty much. She, she moved to the hospital for the last week or so, but she died in the family, our family home for over the last few years of her life and Pete was living there. So my mum and my stepdad, we'll call him Dennis, he's my dad. So Pete's been with my nan the whole time and... And it's been Pete and my nan for so long. And he's helped her. She aged, obviously. He was her legs, her arms. He would have washing. He would carry the groceries. He would do all these things. Send him to the shop with a letter and money in the local shop because my nan had already worded up the local shop person. This is my son. He's handicapped, but I'm going to give you a letter. So he became the, the legs and arms, and obviously. So that's when he started to become the guardian that we display, my grandmother displayed for him. And, and in, in the whole process of my grandma passing away and, and seeing he, he, she was his world and he was hers. And that was really tough. But 
He didn't cry. My nan said, I don't want you to take him to the funeral because I don't want him to. But he was better than all of us. My nan was a big part of my life growing up, of course. So when she passed away, it, was, it really affected me. But he was just there at the funeral. I did. I disobeyed my nan and I made my mum, talked to my mum and said, we're taking him. And he was strong and not a tear. And he just moved on to my mum and cared for my mum not long after got breast cancer. She was 47 and battled with that until she was 53. And she slowly was on the decline and Pete stayed in the house, of course. And he, again, he was a part of that protection that, again, you know, my, my dad, Dennis, he was a builder, had his own building company. So he was working and, of course, he had to continue to work to finance a home and, and care for and my, care for my mother too right to the end. But at that period, Pete, again, this staying force, just next level. Yeah. And I just tip my hat. And he, and obviously my mother's passed now and he's been living with my dad and tip my hat to my dad now because they live together, the two of them. Dad's mid-70s and Pete's high 60s and they live together like an odd couple. <laughs> And like look, a yin it, and yang. It works. Yeah. My dad was obviously, it was my dad and mum, they were in love. And so they met obviously later on in like their lives in their 40s. And they had a wonderful marriage, or uh, late in 30s actually, they had a wonderful marriage. And mum died way too young. And mm. Dennis is, I, I, he's never had another partner, never met anyone. And he's, Pete's been with him the whole time. He cares for Pete now, makes his lunch and everything because Pete can't make his lunch. And what an amazing human being he is. Yeah. But then Pete's, he's servicing another part there with the companionship. So it just doesn't, it doesn't it's, stop giving. It's, and only in the last, I don't know, five or six years have I really stood back and appreciated that unique, beautiful thing that's gone on there. Mm. And I just drill it all the way back to my nan making that call that day. I wanted to go back with your mum's story and how she kind of, like something triggered, we don't know what exactly it was, but something triggered in her this this need, this desire, this obsession, say, to find her birth family. And I guess what's common across all adoptees is that it does happen. It's just a matter of when it happens. It's, for some people, it could be just the one time and then they get what they need and they get content again. And for others, it's, it comes in ebbs and flows and whether adoptees take action on those feelings or not. So I guess what you're saying with your mum's story is that when it, it came on in a big way, enough for you to notice for her looking through the papers and diving in. And what I wanted to know, first of all, is a part of the story is what that story was for her, what that was like for you, but also... You've touched on your Uncle Pete and what he's given to you, but you mm. mentioned that your mum gave you something when you're in, in your mm. teenage mm. years as mm. well, something that mm. she was very focused on, mm. probably at the time that she was going through this obsession with finding a family. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You're spot on. And so she did become obsessive. Well, obsessive. Uh, it just became all consuming for her. And I think it, it came to an identity thing where she came from and having some connection with history. Also medical, she wanted to know her medical history too, genetically, right? Yeah. And people say to me, I go to the doctor now, what's your medical history? I can 
can't really say much because my dad was gone when I was really young. We didn't know much there and mum was adopted. But So, that, so it's affected you. It's it, affecting you now. Had, every time I feel yeah. him, watch, if, if you've got any medical history, I only know my father had some strokes. That's what made him pass away. But before that, I don't know any. Mum was adopted. But she did find some history and so she did she she was got into the women's hospital in Paddington and got it through the adoption and then she met this lady called Patricia Harris I think her name was and she handled all the adoptions and she was the lady who brought the eyes and, and, and dotted the eyes and crossed the T's so to speak the lady had drawn some form of correlation and so mum was super excited and I remember taking the day off work and was going into into the hospital. This is in the 1980s, so still got to remember there's mm. no cell phones or internet or anything. It was all paper. And I, I just remember pages and pages next to We had this tiny gold coffee table with this dial phone, green dial phone, and just pages of numbers and – which wow. meant nothing to me, but it just it went on for it went on for months and months. I, I think a lot, lot longer than that, but I was obviously ten or eleven, so a long time. And then, lo and behold, off she went. And she tells the story that she went in there, and the lady had on a piece of paper my mum's name and this other lady's name, and both their phone numbers. And my mum, being the sleuth that she'd been in all this investigating mm-hmm. over months memorized this lady's name and number and there was an arrows and so lo and behold this is my mother's sister so my mother came home and rang this lady i won't say her name now because i haven't checked i haven't spoken to her for a long time so i yeah, don't know if fine. it's okay to to use her name but she rang her at 9 30 at night and said hello this particular lady my mum's sister had been talking to patricia as well they've been traveling this parallel unit same They've both been doing the same thing. My mum's sister was trying to do the investigation, find her real parents. They were both trying to find each other. Yes, and they both came across this lady Patricia's desk. My mother had been talking to this lady Patricia and she'd said, look, I think I found – and my mum does find out that she has um, four other sisters and they they were kept by her mum and my mum's sister who were real. The others were from a different father and my mum and – um, her sister would adopted out. So this lady, Patricia, had worked all this out over a period of time and she'd had them both on this piece of paper and my mum memorised her name and number and rang her and said, hi, you've been talking to Patricia, yes, I have. I've just been in a meeting with her. She's going to ring you, but I've memorised your number and I'm your sister. This was how much it meant to her. So we took the next day off school and we went over there and they lived in Ride. Yeah, and she had two girls and it was this – and look, they looked like each other. They had a similar build and I and they had a, a similar manner. And I'm, as I got older, I, uh, I became – I was always a bit sceptical and there was no ever any DNA test or anything, but they carried the same mannerisms. They spoke similarly. They, and you put them together in a photo. Mum just had a, a bit of a ginger colour hair and, and she had a bit of a darker brown hair, but they looked similar. Yeah. And so they were sisters. And they, and they became inseparable really quickly, Yeah. really quickly. Side note, they let the New Idea magazine know and they were going to do a story on us and they came and did photos and my nan, my mum's stepmother, rang up New Idea and said, hey, don't you dare print this story and put a stop to it. Yeah, mum and nan didn't talk for quite a number of years because of that. I guess in a way it exposes, when you say that you're adopted, you may not be thinking about, I wasn't thinking about my mum and her feelings and maybe the reasons why she had to adopt me. Mm. And that would be quite painful for her 
to mm. revisit over and over again the fact, oh, we adopted you because I couldn't have children because I my body didn't mm. fundamentally work to have children. So there's a pain associated with that loss of mm. not bearing your own children. Mm. So, yeah, I can imagine. And that was in the 80s. And then again, it's probably a bit more progressive now. It's a lot more open now to talk about. And But in the 50s, that kind of thinking, it's it, you'd be even you'd be more private again from the yeah, 50s I th- and, I th- and yeah, I think maybe they it was mine. And that was that. Where now there's a whole foster process and all those things. Yeah, I, and there's I, open I, adoption and so yeah. So I, I, yeah, it's a difficult one. But I know my mum. She really wanted to find out. And then I know my nan didn't want her to. I don't know what conversations were had, but I know by my nan's actions there. And I know my mum's sister, she only found out on the night before she got married. That's when her parents told her. So there's that difference. My mum knew her whole life. My mum's sister didn't find out until the night before she was married. So the story goes. Again, different approaches from different people. Yep. But, yeah, it's fascinating that how it shaped her because what my mother's was always about owning your own identity and bringing me up and being you know, who you are, be authentic to who you are and really big on that. It was a big part of being an individual and owning your own identity and I think that was a byproduct of her adoption. I really do because it was just, it was, yeah, it was always talked about. She, I think she was struggling with that, I think, a bit of her own identity because of that, where she came from and, yeah, and as she got older and, and we became, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mother's son so we're extremely close and, and I loved her. Dearly. We spoke, used to speak two and three times a day. Yes, this is my later in my life. And I held her dearly. And I just, because of those things, I think those fundamental values of identity and being strong in who you are and standing up for the weaker individual, like she would say, go back and pick up the one who's coming last and help them along because that's my Uncle Pete. Mm. And so it's been always a, a thing in our family. You just don't just win the race, make sure. Everyone else finishes too. My daughter did that recently in a running race. Oh, Stopped what to wait for a friend. Oh. She was miles ahead, waited for a friend, Paigey. And I, it was a, few, a couple of years ago, but she was miles ahead. And I'm like, run, and she's like, I'm waiting for Paigey. And I'm like, just get win and then go back. <laughs> yeah. uh, wait for Paigey. And here I am event. being this competitive dude going, just yeah. win. Yeah. And, and, and I smack in the face, reality check. There's beautiful children, beautiful behaviour right there. Yeah. So cool. But at the time, Dad said, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but I think that my mum, that's probably where mum went. I think she really, and I think also when she met my dad, I think he made her feel safe too. And I still think that abandonment that she had feelings of, I think he nurtured those. He's such a beautiful man and a good man and a soft and gentle guy, even though he's strong and burly, being a builder. And I think the success of their marriage and, and watching them be so happy and I'm so grateful for is because I think he understood that, those issues because she had them, you know, always making sh- very hands-on with where I am and what I was doing. Just uh, Very ex- attentive by the sounds of it. Yes, and I think yeah. that comes from that adoption thing. I, I really yeah. I, I believe it. I really do. Everything is coming full circle, especially yeah. and it ro- revolves around Pete. Yeah, it does. And yeah. so this person who could have who offered to take him away, yeah, he because has, he was discredited or un- deemed unvaluable in society, has nothing to offer. 
has now le, 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 done above and beyond. Look what he's done for And he doesn't family. even realise it. He doesn't. He probably even, doesn't even realise it. He doesn't realise it. And he would stand God. there pushing my daughter on a swing till his arm fell off. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I can, yeah. So I'm telling yeah, I, you yeah, now, yeah. I've seen it firsthand. Yeah, just, he would be sitting there at the beach for hours and my nan would come down and bring sandwiches and we'd have sandwiches and I'd go back out again. Hours and hours, and my nan just would walk out. He'd just you. sit there watching, and my nan would say, "Where is he?" He'd go bang, didn't take his eyes off me. There's probably hundreds of kids in the water. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Off. Yeah, he knows exactly where you and are. I just think that stuff's just yeah. that, that's the whole beautiful. reason why I wanted to. The reason for I want him to be honoured. Yeah, and I want the system. I don't. I'm not a part of the system now, but it's important that we understand that those sort of things went on. To hand, offer to hand someone back, whew. it's heavy. It's terrible. It's, human being, it's right? absolutely shocking. Mm. So that's been a real, really important part for us. It's mom. a game changer. Yeah, for mum and, you know, so as I said to you before, you know, mum was always you know, make sure I, I have a high sense of justice and so does my daughter. If someone's being Ill, ill-treated or unfortunately, as Talia said to me only the other day at the movies, Dad, I'm like, okay, I don't think that's right. Yeah, but Dad, don't say anything. I say I won't say anything, but. To me, you between me and that's that's not right. Yeah, so that I think that comes from there. <laughs> Funny, hey? Yeah. Funny so hey. every daily life experience, I guess not every single experience, but things like that, mm. justice, it all stems from a root experience yeah. and scenario that you've you've dealt with firsthand. Yes. That has an impact on everything, yes. like the way you think, the way you, what you believe in, how you behave, how you interact with others, what your standards are, what you can tolerate and not tolerate. It mm. all, it all comes from a deeper part of yourself. Yeah. Mm. I think it's really profound and really special. And yeah, I think it's just an amazing, incredible story that you have. Yeah. Look, I, 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 as a, it's not my story, actually. It's theirs. <laughs> Yeah. I just, I've just, I'm just at the end of it. I've just seen it, well, heard it and seen it, and but. But it is yours because you're. Ca- you can't like he like Pete can't share it. No. There's no one that can share it except you, and you're actually live like. He's in you, like yeah, your yeah, mum yeah. is yeah. in you, and yeah, it, like yeah. and you're carrying that yeah. on yes. that through into Thank your daughter. You. So, yeah, you're right. so Thank really, you. it's your story that you're sharing on behalf of, mm. and hopefully, when Natalia is older, she's going to listen to this story and it's going to be another profound or aha moment for her and she's going to reflect back on her experiences with Pete and yes. maybe he'll be around and maybe not but it but I think it's a matter it's about capturing this story at the right time mm. and when it's quite emotional and real for you mm. and it needed to be shared and I think what I was going to say is that if Pete listened to this what what do you think he could I don't think he could do it unfortunately or maybe he would I, look I I wouldn't have, until you've said that, I wouldn't have put the headphones on and said, listen to this, but I'll try. I don't know if he got the attention span. But then on the flip side, he could tell you, rattle off any football or cricket information you want to know. Who knows? (laughs) He (laughs) He could recite this whole interview. sometimes still surprise. Sometimes still surprise. Very much an under-promise, over-deliver kind of guy, if I could say that. I was living in Queensland when my mum was in her term, the terminal part of her cancer and then I moved back. I was flying back and forward and then I moved back and moved into the home with Pete and Dennis for about 12 months, Dennis, Den, Den, Dad, for about 12 months after our mum passed away. So it's a three amigo kind of vibe. <laughs> it's funny, you know, and all this is useless as each other, tripping over each other and, and not knowing how to do anything because obviously women, my mum 
was a typical housewifey lady and cooked and cleaned and held, so, held it together like glue. Held exactly, it. exactly. Yeah. And us guys just floundered around and made more <laughs> mess, which is standard, right? <laughs> so um, moving back there, and we all learnt to cook together, and, and that's the reality, actually. But um, I was downstairs, and Pete's room was next to mine, and he would talk for hours to his mum, to his to my mum, as in talk to them. You know, and I'd say, who are you talking? Are you talking? I was talking to mum last night, or I was talking to Colleen, which is my mum, Cole, and and, I, and he would talk to them. Really bizarre, unnerving if you weren't used to it. But he's done it his whole life. Or he'll say randomly, I spoke to Pop, um, my dad, his dad, because Pop passed away two, it's nearly three years ago now. Yeah. And Pete was obviously at a funeral. I saw him, and I used to collect Pete and take him to see his dad, Victor in the war vets home in Colorado there. But, yeah, so he talks to them, which is that's, yeah, it's that's, not un, it's not unnerving for me and I, I actually think it's really cool and yeah. I probably think he's probably on a higher plane than us, but that's a story we can go down. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking he's on a different frequency mm. and he's frequency, tuning yeah. in to. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a gift, a beautiful angel that's been put in our lives, yep. a beautiful angel and then my mum being the same but having that, sto- that stoic behaviour to yep. care for him. It's just really cool. Two souls who are brought together. It's remarkable. Just a unique set of circumstances mm. coming together, mm. making the right decisions, mm. and then this is where we're at mm. now. Mm. And thanks for acknowledging my daughter. She will listen to this because she was very excited to know that I was coming to do this today because she loves Uncle Pete and she never met my mum, but she loves Uncle Pete and loves her grandfather, Dennis, my dad. So I said to her I was going to share because I have shared this story and so – for her to have it recorded, I think it's pretty cool. So thank you. Mm, no, thank you're welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've just had just – this has just been such an amazing experience. I've had goosebumps pretty much the whole time. Yeah, it's just very powerful, very beautiful story and I hope that he can listen to it and Natalia. And I was just going to say he's – Atalia's. I guess if she's never met your mum, he's like the gateway to her. Mm. He's like obviously you're connected to her yeah. but – there's always something powerful in having someone else connected to her and yes. it, having a different experience as yeah. being the brother. Yes. Um, he, yeah. he and, and he speaks in his own way fondly of my mum and so does my dad And because uh, she was a unique, beautiful, very soft, gentle soul, one of those people who obviously coming from very humble Upbringings. My nan and pop were very humble people. And when I grew up with mum, my mum was pretty, very poor upbringing. We didn't have much. And so she made, you know, that back in those days, they would put all their makeup and jewellery on just to go shopping. <laughs> she was a bit like that, quite proud in the end there. My daughter is nothing like that. She's just all about an athlete, but that's her gig. But, yeah, he is a gateway to her and it's really lovely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, and they have a wonderful relationship and he dotes on her. Yeah, and that's only going to continue as she gets older. And He yeah, thinks she's the bee's knees. Yeah. She's the coolest kid on the planet. And when she was made school captain, he just could not believe it. The badge, the whole thing, and he was beside himself because I wasn't, right? Yeah. I wasn't that one at her age. And, so, and when I was growing up, I was his world and he was mine. So, yeah, it's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. And I guess his him experiencing emotions are probably quite extreme. Like his experience mm. of joy is 
probably so obvious. Like he's, you can his be proud shape, of your kids. His, his and, physical body, his leg shapes yeah, when right. he's standing there. Yeah. You, yeah. Like he, you, so he you can just, and it r- probably rubs off onto you. Like you just, it's, it comes infectious. at you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, uh, you can be at the dinner table. He's getting excited. You no, know, Pete, stop your leg. Cause the whole table's r- r- moving. Cause yeah, he, his expression is so real and honest and, and authentic. And there's no masking. Nothing. There's, you know, how we, all, you know how we all simply, without even realising it, p- put something in front of it to slow ourselves down or speed up or we've got to do this. He yeah. doesn't have any of that filter. Yeah. So it's real. Yeah. 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 So she does get that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, Because right a lot of the time I think you may have those ex- like those feelings on the inside, but you could be express expressionless almost on the outside. Mm-hmm. So you might say, oh, I feel this. You might say something to your daughter or whatever, I feel mm-hmm. really proud of you. But it may not be felt from her end, but with Pete you can – it's just like this over an abundance type joy. Exactly. exactly. It's received exactly the yeah. way it's intended. Yeah, yeah and exactly. that would be such a beautiful feeling to experience. Yeah, it is. It is. It's actually funny you say that because, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think I might live a bit like that too. <laughs> I try anyway. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. exactly right. I think that's probably definitely rubbed off on you because yeah. I think that's what we, you know, we naturally just got into this conversation on the dance floor, and I think, yeah, that kind of energy. Yes. You get attracted to the same kind of energy. And, yes, and, I agree. And the flow of it. Yeah, 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 I agree. I agree. But awesome. yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Join us next time on My Unknown Truth.